Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We are continuing our journey with Jesus, not just through the gospel of Mark, but our journey with Jesus to Jerusalem, where he will be crucified and then raised from the dead, which we will talk more about and celebrate in about a month now when we come to Easter Sunday. But for now, we are in that phase, that season, where we dwell on the meaning of the cross and what it means to follow Jesus. And today we begin reading Mark chapter 6, verse 12. The 12, that is the 12 disciples, went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. And some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, it's John, whom I beheaded He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. I've mentioned before how Mark's storytelling style is to quickly move from one scene to the next giving just enough detail to give us the impression of what's happening there in that scene. And then as soon as you're about to settle in and dwell on it, he immediately moves to the next episode. But here in chapter six, Mark pauses to tell us the story of how John the Baptist died. This is one of the few stories he tells where Jesus is not the center of attention or the focal point or the main character. It does begin, though, when King Herod hears about the ruckus Jesus' disciples are making around Galilee as they preach and heal and cast demons out of people. And as Jesus is becoming more well-known, as his movement is growing in Galilee, 
more and more people with opinions are wondering, who is he exactly? And everyone seems to have a different opinion. But when King Herod hears about Jesus, he thinks he knows exactly who it is. It's John the Baptist, the one I beheaded. And then Mark flashes back to tell us the story of how John the Baptist, God's faithful prophet, lost his head to King Herod. Now, please don't confuse the Herod in this story with Herod the Great, who was the ruler of the entire region of Judea. Herod the Great had 10 wives, even more children. And he was paranoid about threats to his power. Herod the Great was the Herod who killed the babies in Bethlehem around the time of Jesus's birth. He also, during the course of his life, executed several of his own sons whom he thought were threats to him. It was said at the time that it was better to be one of Herod the Great's pigs than one of his sons. And when Herod the Great died, the Romans split his realm or territory among three of his sons. And the Herod we're reading about here in Mark chapter six is one of those sons. Antipas, Herod Antipas, ruled over Galilee, the region where Jesus and his disciples do most of their ministry in the gospel of Mark. Mark calls Antipas king in this story ironically. While Antipas fancied himself as a king, he was never officially given that title. He was a wannabe king. In fact, later in life, he asked Caesar Caligula to give him the title king. And Caligula instead exiled him to Gaul. He was never a real king. Antipas had a half-brother named Philip who was married to Herodias. Herodias was the daughter of Antipas and Philip's half-brother, Aristobulus. So, pay attention here, there's a lot of diagramming going on. So, when Mark tells us in chapter 6 that Antipas takes Herodias to be his wife, he's not only stealing his brother's wife, he's marrying his niece. And when Herodias leaves Philip for Antipas, she's trading one of her uncles for another. Jerry Springer would have loved to feature this family <laughs> on his show. In the midst of this mess of adultery, divorce, and incest, pretty much breaking all the commandments you can find in Leviticus, Antipas wants the people of God in Galilee to call him king. 
And John the Baptist, who was sent to announce the coming of the true king of Israel, could not let this pass. He confronted Antipas's brazen immorality. His behavior may have been par for the course for a son of Herod the Great, but it disqualified him from being king of God's people. This was a bold and risky thing for John the prophet to do. But he cared more about speaking the truth, more about pleasing God than currying favor with a wannabe king. I love the way James Edwards describes John in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark. He says, there were no sacred cows in John's herds. He did not read the polls before speaking and acting. He protected no special interests, nor did he predicate what he said and did on chances of success. He simply spoke the truth whenever and wherever the truth was required. And so Antipas has John arrested. He can't have him out there stirring up trouble and opposition against him. And Herodias, Antipas's wife, understandably hates John because he's the one who keeps reminding everyone that her marriage to the king is not legitimate. But Antipas, Mark tells us, struggles with what to do with John because he likes to hear him preach. Even Antipas can recognize there is something righteous and holy about John. And so he does not want to kill him. He just wants to shut him up. So he locks him away in prison. And that is where John the Baptist would have stayed if it hadn't been for a dance and a drunken oath. I assume Antipas was drunk at the time. He threw a birthday party for himself. And he invited all the prominent, important people of Galilee to come to his banquet where he could show off his wealth and his power. And Antipas's stepdaughter from Herodias's first marriage dances at the banquet to entertain Antipas and his guests. Mark doesn't tell us her name, but historians later tell us her name is Salome. And her dance, whatever it was, so pleased Antipas and his guests that he lets her name her reward. He promises to give her whatever she wants. And this is the opportunity Herodias has been waiting for. And she tells her daughter to ask the king for John's head on a platter. And now Antipas faces a dilemma. He does not want to kill John. but he also can't look weak in front of his guests. 
His ego has written a check his heart does not want to cash. And this ambitious man who wants everyone to call him king cannot say no to his dancing stepdaughter. He's more worried about what his dinner guests will think of him than doing what he knows to be the right thing. Antipas was brazen enough to steal his brother's wife, but he was not strong enough to spare John's life, which is why he has this guilty conscience, which is why when he hears about this mysterious man named Jesus, he immediately assumes, oh, I know who that is. That's John, raised from the dead, coming back to haunt me and I guess I deserve it. Now, why would, why would Mark take the time to tell us this story? Well, the first answer is that it foreshadows Jesus' death in Jerusalem. There are parallels in this story with Jesus' interactions with Pilate later on in Mark chapter 15. Much like Antipas with John, Pilate did not want to execute Jesus. But in the end, he allows a crowd, he allows public opinion, he allows pressure from others to make the decision for him. Mark is already preparing us for what is going to happen to Jesus in Jerusalem. Second answer is that Mark is also showing some of the early Christians to whom he's writing how they can expect to be treated by those in power. If, as many scholars assume, Mark is writing primarily to Christians in Rome who are a bit shocked at how badly they are being treated because of their allegiance to Jesus, then it makes sense for Mark to slow down and tell this story of God's faithful prophet and forerunner to Christ being executed by a corrupt, immoral king. If it happened to John, and if it happened to Jesus, Mark seems to be saying to some early Christians, don't be surprised if it happens to you. And the third answer comes when we see that immediately after this story about Herod's banquet, Jesus feeds 5,000 hungry people. It's a different kind of banquet with Jesus. And by placing these two stories side by side, Mark seems to want us to compare the table of Herod, the banquet of Herod, with the table of Christ. It's later on in Mark chapter 8, in verse 15, after Jesus has fed another large crowd, Jesus warns his disciples saying, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Watch out for the yeast of Herod. And we'll save the yeast of the Pharisees for another time. But assuming in this context, yeast is a corrupting influence, what does Jesus mean when he says, watch out, for the yeast of Herod. Well, I think Mark's description of what happens at Herod's birthday party 
gives us a clue. I'm sure it was an honor to be invited to Herod's party. It was the kind of thing the elite would post and brag about on social media. It was those who sat at Herod's table were politically ambitious. And yes, while they may not have approved of his immoral behavior and way of life, they were willing to overlook it to gain a seat at his table. Because at his table, gaining and maintaining power was the number one priority. It may have been the only priority. After all, the one sitting at the head of the table desperately wanted everyone to call him king. And he was willing to behead a good and righteous man to keep from looking weak. Jesus, Jesus understands that the yeast of Herod will be a temptation for his disciples. Not just his first disciples, but all disciples. Because it is tempting to think that the kingdom of God and the legitimacy of the church and the future of the Christian faith depends on securing a seat at the corrupt, morally compromised table of King Herod, where the politically ambitious will say and do anything to gain and maintain their power over others. John slows down and tells us this story because he wants to make sure we see that while the politically ambitious and power-hungry elite are sitting with Herod at his table watching Salome dance. John is languishing away in a prison because he had the guts to speak the truth to a man who wanted to be king. This story is a reality check. It's a sobering reminder that while the goal of those seated with Herod is to always be moving closer to the head of the table, God's faithful prophet, whose death foreshadows Christ's death on the cross, ends up being the head at the table. Sometimes faithfulness to the truth, faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the gospel requires great sacrifice. And may we hear in this story a call away from the table of Herod and a call toward the way of Christ. May we hear in this story a call away from the table of Herod, the yeast of Herod, and an invitation to find our place at the truth-telling, 
self-giving, sacrificial, cross-shaped table of Christ. Let's go there now. This is the table. It's not the table of Herod, nor is it the table of the church. This is the table of the Lord, made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, come, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, for it is the Lord who invites you. And it is his will that those who want him and those who want to be more like him should meet him here at the table of the Lord. And so we give thanks for the bread, Christ's body broken for us. And we give thanks for the cup, the blood of Christ shed for us. And we give thanks for this table. For it tells us the truth. The truth about God. The truth about the world. The truth about life. And the truth about ourselves. May we draw near to the truth we find in Christ. And the church said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.